choir gets in. First of all, I want to invite you to Sunday school, to a small group Bible study on Sunday morning at 6.30. If you, if you don't have a Sunday school class, I want to invite you to be a part of that. We have some of the greatest teachers in the state. So I want you, want you to think about coming to Sunday school if you're not in the Sunday school already. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, the hurricane this morning. It devastated Florida, and uh, I want to kind of share this with you. I've been in contact with North Carolina Baptist Disaster Relief, and uh, they're right now, they've already transported uh, Man of One Kitchen. They're going to be feeding 20 to 30,000 meals a day down in um, Fort Myers. And what they're asking for, they're asking for our region to come down October the 15th through the, uh, the 22nd to help feed. If you're trained in that area, they'd love to have you to come. There's a number that you can text. It's also in your bulletin. If you'll go in your bulletin and, and text, text John Crane, he'll set you right up. They're going to be taking SUVs down to drive straight through to help feed. Also, if you're not trained, you can go. But they ask that you get trained later on if you'll, if you'll do that. They're needing help. They're really needing help. So I want you to pray about it. If you have time to go and be a part of that recovery and feeding people, and feeding is very hard. You get up early and you feed all day. You cook most of the day, and, but there are a lot of people in need. And I, I want you to pray about your part in that. So we'll be going with North Carolina Baptist men and women and be going to that area in October. Write those dates down, and I hope you can go. If you have any questions, you can see me later, okay? There's another thing I want to bring to your attention on missions. We, this is uh, the 11th year that North Carolina Baptist Missions has been, been going to New York, been doing coats for the city. Guys, if you'll uh, go there. We're going to be going on December the 2nd and through the 4th. We may extend the 4th to the 5th, depending on our flights. But uh, we'll, we're going to be partnering with Anna Smith, Anna Smith Kilby. And that's Randy and Debbie's daughter. And uh, there they are with their two girls. They live in the same area that Randy and Debbie just moved out of this past year. And if you would like to go, would you see me? Because we need coats. We need about six to eight people. We're taking small groups. And uh, we'll be in the city there in, in Astoria. And we'll be giving out coats to those people who need coats and sharing the gospel. Uh, but we need six to eight people. And if you'd see me as, as soon as you can. But our goal is 200 coats. If you have a warm winter coat, like new or almost new or new for children up to adults, we're putting those in the blue bins down in the Jennings building. We need your help with that. We really need all the coats we can get. Our deadline's November the 13th. If you'll watch this short video, guys, and if you'll just watch it, it'll kind of show you what they're doing in the city. Watch it. Thank you. Thank you for your time this morning. Hello, my name is Kevin Cave from MNYBA. If you are receiving this video, it's because you have signed up for Coats for the City, and we cannot wait for what God is going to do the first weekend in December for Coats for the City 2022. Hopefully, by now, you have already begun making your travel arrangements, you're lining up your hotels and lodging, your airfare, and we just want you to know that over the next few weeks, you're going to begin getting some emails with more information connecting you to churches and just providing you with general updates about this weekend. We believe that this weekend is going to be transformational, not only here in New York City, because we know that the gospel will have an impact here, but it has the opportunity to impact the world through what happens on this weekend. 
We also believe that it's going to be life transformational for the volunteers that are coming to serve alongside of our churches. We want you to know that we are praying for you. We are praying for this weekend. We're praying for the impact that, that God is going to do an incredible thing right here in New York City, right in the hearts of people that are here, but in the hearts of those that are coming to volunteer. So be looking for those emails, and we look forward to seeing you very soon. Thanks. Well, before our choir comes in, I'm just going to highlight a couple more things, and uh, they're going to come in, hopefully, as I make the announcements. Justin asked me to announce a couple things. Number one is our concert that's coming up this Saturday, October the 8th. I am they will be at the high school auditorium, and uh, there are still tickets available. We need to go online at imthey.com, and you can get your tickets there online, and then you can uh, download the tickets, and you can show those at the door. And then also, reminder, if, if you have not filled out an information sheet, Please do that so we can update your contact information with the church and make sure it's up to uh, current if you've had any phone numbers that have changed or addresses. And then also Justin asked if I'd announce about the apologetics conference. This is probably one of the most beneficial conferences that I, I had a chance to take students on when I was student pastor. This prepares students to ask the tough questions. When they get to college, it's not like it was growing up here in Alexander County. You are challenged in your faith. You question things, and you need to be prepared for that. This conference is one of those that helps prepare for that. So there are eight spots still available for middle school and high school students. If you will see Justin um, as soon as possible and $25 deposit, that will guarantee your spot. Right now, let's prepare our hearts for worship. If you would, join me in prayer. Father, we thank you that we have the privilege of gathering in this place. Lord, we just sometimes take this for granted, but, Lord, we're thankful for your presence and the freedom that we have in Christ to worship you, to come before the throne. And Lord, we just want to give you all the honor and glory today, and may you be glorified in everything that's said and done. In Jesus' name, amen.
sing along with us in worship. that song in Philippians chapter 2 it says therefore God has also also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven of those on earth and those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father one day every knee will bow before him but here's the opportunity we have today that is we can bow before him and submit ourselves to him and worship him what an incredible privilege. We want to welcome you here to the service. If you're visiting with us for the first time, or maybe you've been visiting here for a while, and you've never taken an opportunity to fill out a guest card, would you please take a minute to do that? We would love to know who you are, get contact information, and know how we could serve you better. You can fill out the care card that's in your bulletin, or stop by our guest table in the back and fill out a guest card. We would love to have that record. Also, if you may be interested in church membership, we have a class 101 coming up very soon. You can register with the care card or you can go to our website at easttailswell.com under current upcoming events you have a link there you can fill out information and we would love to have you be a part of the next class um, that's coming up in a couple weeks but right now we're going to ask everyone to take take a minute turn to your neighbor 
I, yeah. Now turn to your other neighbor, because you probably got two. And then you got to decide which one you want to welcome.
Amen. I want to invite you this morning to come and pray for the people in Florida. You know, 66 people there lost their lives this week. I was talking to Ken earlier. Ken Setzer, he said his son Barry was down there and hit right where he's at. But praise the Lord, he's okay. You know what? God protects people too when they go through storms. He protects us. So I want to invite you this morning to come and pray for the people of Florida. We had four people in North Carolina that lost their lives. So we want you to pray for people that are hurting this morning, and we need to lift them up. The Bible says pray one for another. And also, I want to remember Jack and Scotty. They're our missionary of the month for Forgiven for Ministries. They're going to be going up to Michigan this Wednesday. And pray for them as they travel. It's the first time in four years that that state's opened up where they can go share the gospel to prisoners. You pray for them this morning as you come. You come this morning. Let's pray together. prayer this morning father we want to thank you that you commended your love toward us and that while we were yet sinners you died for us lord you brought us forgiveness and mercy and grace every day lord you saved us and you give us eternal life and we're so grateful and we just want to stop and thank you for loving us this morning sometime we forget how much we are loved by you and we thank you for loving us help us to love you back Lord, help us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And Father, this morning, we want to pray for the people of Florida. Lord, the people who are hurting, the people who have lost their lives, we pray for their families who are grieving and going through a most difficult time. And oh Lord, those who've lost everything, they've lost their homes, they have nothing. Lord, as we go as a neighboring state, help us to go and minister in Jesus' name to help them, Lord, in days to come. And Father, I pray that you'd be with them, bring them great comfort and peace, and Lord, send people from all over to help. Lord, you said we're to help our neighbor. Lord, you said we're to love our neighbor as ourself. Help us to do no less. And Father, I pray for Jack and Scotty as they travel this week. Give them travel and mercy and grace. And Lord, open doors where they can share the gospel in Michigan once again. Lord, that people might hear the good news of Christ and how much he loves them. Lord, that people may become born again and saved. And Father, thank you this morning for this time of worship. May you bless it with your presence. And Father, may you be worshiped, and may we worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen.
condemned to die on a cross for the crimes he had done. He was guilty, everyone could see. But his destiny was changed as he looked at Christ and said, when your kingdom comes, remember me. In paradise that day he stood, just like the Lord had said he would, surrounded by those who had gone before. And one said, friend, how did you come? What are the deeds you have done? With tears in his eyes, I could hear him reply. There are no merits to my name, no works that I can claim. He who brought me here told me to
Amen. Thank you, choir. What a blessing that song was. Thank you so much for all the good singing. If you have your bulletin, I want you to turn to the back of the bulletin and look at the numbers there. Uh, I, want you, I want you to notice the loan payoff amount is now under $50,000, so let's thank the Lord for that. What a blessing that is. And uh, our goal is to pay that off by Christmas, so if you have any mason jars in your backyard that are just, you know, you need to dig up or want to sell a boat or a cow or something, so go ahead and make that donation. We'd really appreciate it. But we do want to thank you for your giving. Um, I was thinking, we were talking in staff meetings several several staff meetings ago about all, not, not just, uh, you know, paying for a building, but all the mission work uh, and ministry that we've done while we were paying for a building. And the reason that that takes place is because you're faithful to give. So I want to thank you so much for that. And uh, it's a blessing to the pastor here to, uh, you know, if there's ever a cause that we have, you guys rise to the occasion, uh, whether it be a barbecue or a tragedy in the community. Um, I've, I've been able to contact uh, men in this church when, when I know of a church member that needs help, and they've always raised to the occasion. So uh, thank you so much for that. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 14. We're going to read verses 6 through 11. If you'll stand with me in honor and respect for God's word this morning. Last week we looked at what are angels ministry to believers. And the last, the last point I made was that when we die as Christians, uh, we don't know where to go, do we? You ever get lost? I do. I'm the world's worst. Even with GPS, I can get lost, okay? I, I get turned around sometimes when I go to hospitals and different things. Think about when you die. Where, do you know where to go? Do you know where to go? Somebody's going to take you. Okay, I, I heard one pastor say this. He said, you don't know where to go when you die, but the angels will come and take you and usher you into God's presence. What a ministry that is. That, is that not a blessing? That's as real as I'm standing here. I believe that with all my heart. And today, we're going to look at for the next couple weeks, okay, an angel's ministry to the lost. And the first thing that we're going to talk about is very important, that the angels, listen, preach the gospel. That's the angel's desire. The Bob Peter said this, that when somebody gets saved, he, he gave this kind of, this, this idea that an angel looks down into it because they just don't understand it. it just, it's so amazing to them because they don't get saved. Jesus didn't die for angels, he died for us. And if you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, the angels of God would tell you that he is real, he rose from the dead, they're worshiping him right now, and they have a great doctrine and theology behind their worship. We're not talking about Peter Pan, are we? We're not talking about some fairy tale. We're not talking about Thor or Superman. We're talking about a real person. Is your faith, now hear me on this, is your faith in the resurrected Christ? I find in Alexander County a lot of people have faith in Christianity. A lot of people have faith in this vague notion of who Jesus is. But when it gets right down to them, they don't even have faith in Jesus. Is your faith in Jesus? That's what this, this, is what this section of Scripture is all about. From, from chapter four, or 4 to chapter 14 of the book of Revelation, angels are mentioned on every page but chapter 13. And there, uh, John describes the Antichrist to us. And then these angels, look at verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory. For the hour of His judgment has come. And I heard one commentator say, he said, underline judgment. Underline judgment. He's saying that to his church. He says, because your day of judgment is coming when you die. We'll stand before the great white throne, of, or, or if you're lost, before the great white throne. If you're saved, before the bema seat. But this angel's telling these people, 
this, the time of God's judgment has come, and he says, worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs and waters. So the angels are not evolutionists. You might be, but the angels are not. Okay? And then another angel came along. Here's the second angel. Followed him saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And what he's saying there is just simply this. You believed everything but Jesus. That's what he's saying. And because of that, judgment has come. And then a third angel. Three angels are preaching here. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, another loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out. Now notice, this is very important. Full strength. Into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. These angels are very serious about what they're preaching, and I hope you are serious as well in your life. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Okay, do you? And then if you're here today and you do, is there one person in your life or in your realm of influence that you'd love to see come to know Christ? At that invitation time, you don't have to come forward, but I'm going to ask you to pray for that person. And ask God to use you to reach that person because the judgment these angels speak to every nation, tribe, and tongue that's on the face of the earth at that time, they'll face as well. They'll face as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the gospel. Lord, this church stands on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that we would be a people that would leave this place. Lord, the gospel is good news. Lord, it was good news to me when I was 20 years old and somebody from this church shared Jesus with me and I became a Christian. Father, I'm so thankful that, Lord, you look beyond who we were and to who we could be. Lord, even now, Lord, we all fall short. But we're so thankful for the gospel. We're justified by faith in the risen Son of God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And Lord, what these angels are preaching, we preach here every week. Father, and I pray that if there's anyone here today, Lord, anyone here today who's placed their faith in religion, in church membership, Lord, who got emotional one Sunday, and that's okay. But Lord, today, open their eyes. Father, only you can save and only you can convict. And Lord, I pray that you do that for your honor and for your glory. These are convicting passages, but they're also encouraging passages. And Father, I pray that we'd take it to heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When we think about why angels ministry to unbelievers, a couple things God does is God uses angels all the time to bring judgment. If you read the book of Revelation, when the seals are open and the trumpets are sounded and the bowls are poured out, God's using angels to do all those things. In the Old Testament, God used angels to, uh, to really judge Sodom. Sodom. Uh, God used angels to strike the men of Sodom with blindness. God used angels as agents of God's judgment on Sodom, and then angels escorted Lot out of Sodom. Angels were agents of God's judgment in bringing the plagues. Psalm 78, 43, and 49 tells us this. As a matter of fact, whenever uh, the Passover happened, the Bible says that an angel of death or destroying angel executed the firstborn of Egypt at the Passover. In the book of Revelation, God uses angels to destroy mankind and this earth, but he also uses angels to evangelize. John MacArthur made this statement. Now listen, he said this, Everybody would like to see a better day. 
We would like to eliminate poverty and disease and crime, all those things that blight our culture. And I hate to be a prophet of doom, but to speak the truth, I must. And the truth is, there's not going to be a better day, but a worse one. Talking about the book of Revelation. A better day is not coming. In fact, what is coming is terrible, eternal tragedy. And the society of the future is a society that will feel the judgment, fury of God, like no one has ever felt, in a way no one has ever felt it. Things are not going to get better. They're going to get infinitely worse. And he said that in 1976. Imagine now, as you look at the blight of the church today, I'm talking about the real church, and churches that claim to be Christian, and some of the things that are said from pulpits by people who claim to know Jesus. It's a sad commentary in America today. When, when they equate Jesus with just about anybody else. Notice what Paul says. Look on the screen at this verse. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. You hear what I'm saying? If any man stands up here, or woman, by the way, and preaches that all dogs go to heaven, well, that dogs probably do, but all people don't. Okay? We don't. That's not the gospel. That is absolutely not the gospel. Any gospel that says Jesus Christ didn't die on a cross for our sins is not the gospel. Anybody that preaches that says Jesus Christ did not resurrect or it was a good idea, you know, you ever get, hear people say that? Well, it's just, it's just a thought. It's a good thought. No, that's not the gospel, sir. That don't save nobody. Nobody's saved. And what Paul says in his day that if even we are an angel from heaven preach any other gospel, which would be Jesus was perfect, died on the cross, rose from the dead, if they preach anything other than that, let them be. That word accursed means damned to hell for eternity is what it means. If I, Paul said, if I do it, or an angel does it. That's what he says. That's how important it is. Notice the first point here. The first angel preached the eternal gospel. Notice the verse on the screen. The Bible says this. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst. Of, look at that word, mist of heaven. Some translations say mid-heaven. The Greek word here refers to a point in the sky where the sun reaches its highest points. In other words, no one can miss this angel. I don't know how God's going to do it, but he's going to do it. It's up to the point where everybody can see him. Okay? That, that's, what, that's what the writer of Revelations is saying. Having the everlasting or eternal gospel. That's what this angel is doing. It's this, this gospel is timeless and unchanged. It's the same gospel that's been preached throughout human history. That mankind is sinful in need of atonement in order to be right with God. Everywhere you go on the planet, the gospel is the same. Been to Philippines, shared the gospel. Been to Haiti, shared the gospel. When we go to prisons, Scotty, we share the gospel over and over because it's the same. It doesn't matter if you're in a classroom or if you're in a church or if you're in a prison cell. The gospel is the gospel. And the angels here are sharing that same gospel. In the Bible, oftentimes the word gospel is described in various terms. One scholar says, and each one looks at it from a different viewpoint. The gospel is called the gospel of the kingdom in Matthew 4, the gospel of Jesus Christ in Mark 1, the gospel of the grace of God in Acts 20, the gospel of God in Mark 1, the gospel of the glory of Christ in 2 Corinthians 4, the gospel of salvation in Ephesians 1, the gospel of peace in Ephesians 6, 5. But notice in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6, it's the eternal gospel that never changes, and it's all about Jesus. Now notice what the angel goes on to say in verse 7. He says this, Said it with a loud voice. John says everybody could hear it. There's no mistaking that you could hear it. So there's no excuses, right? 
There's no excuses. You can hear, okay? And this is what he says, fear God. That would be a good, good, good message to America today. That means to have a healthy respect and a great uh, be in awe of who God is. Solomon said this in Proverbs 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And in Proverbs 23, 17, he says this, live in the fear of the Lord always. And then in 1 Peter 2, 17, Peter tells all these Christians scattered throughout Turkey, he says, fear God. Show great respect for God. And the way you do that is not just have the right attitude about God, but the way you live. You're showing great reverence and respect for God. That's why Paul would tell the church at Corinth, do you not know, do you not know that your body is not your own? Do you not know? And then to the church at Rome, he said this, you know, when you give parts of your body to do sin, do you not know that basically contaminates the whole body? So you don't live with a healthy respect for God if you disrespect yourself and other people. You just don't. Fear God and how you live and how you treat people. How you talk. Isn't it amazing how rude and, and, and unkind Christians can be? It's awful. Do you fear God? Hey, listen, what, what if we had a camera on you when we left this place, okay, and you go to one of these restaurants where they're understaffed, underpaid, and then your meal's going to be late. Can I go ahead and just tell you that? <laughs> it's going to be late. How are, are you going to fear God and how you treat your waiter or waitress? I hope so. I hope so. The angel says, hey, fear God and give him glory. You know what that means? And look at the word worship and give him glory. Basically what that means is you give him the worship he respects. And literally the word worship means that you stand before somebody and you bow down to them and say, you're God and I'm not. That's what it means. That's what it means to worship. It's more than just this. That is worship. That's giving him glory. But worship is bowing down and kissing the ring. That's what that means. That you bow down before God and you kiss the ring and say, you're God and I'm not. And I'm going to live my life and I'm going to live in your kingdom. And I'm going to make your name famous and I'm going to make your kingdom grow. That's what the angel's saying. He says, well, why? Because his judgment has come. John MacArthur speaking on this passage and the events leading up to Revelation 14, okay, where all this destruction's happened. He says this, how much warning does the world need? How many holocausts does it take before they wake up? A fourth of the population of the world dies. A third of the population of the world dies. A fourth of the seas are polluted. The fresh water is polluted. People die from famines, plagues, earthquakes, wars. The sky rolls up. The stars fall. The earth is pelted with fiery bodies falling out of the sky. The crops die. The green grass across the face of the earth dies. 200 million demons go across the globe with devastation and destruction. People are given diseases and ultimately even death. Then you have angels preaching the gospel. And guess what? Some people are never going to get saved. Isn't that amazing? It amazes me. The Bible says that when God was bringing judgment on the people, they cursed at God and would not repent. Some people, for whatever reason, are not going to repent. Some people, for whatever reason, Jesus knew that when he told his disciples to go out two by two. He says, if they don't accept you, he says, what you're just going to have to do is kick the dust off your feet. You just got to walk on. You just got to walk on. Some people, for whatever reason, their hearts are so hard, they will not repent. They will not repent. Notice what else he says here. He says, his judgment has come, which means time is over. And the reason I told you, you underline that, is because there's going to come a day when my day's over. The wages of sin is death for us all. And then we'll stand before God in judgment one day. And the only thing that you can say if you're a Christian is, God, I'm here because of Jesus, and that's it. And then the angel says this, 
He says, make no mistake about it, this God whom we're to fear and give glory, whose hour of judgment has come, he made the heaven and the earth. He made the sea and the springs of water. The angel ties the importance of creationism to the gospel. And what one, one person put it this, how important is creationism to the gospel? And he, and he said this, let me give you three reasons why. The first reason is the credibility of Jesus Christ requires creationism. Jesus said, and he was not uninformed, now Jesus said this, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Is that rocket science? It is today. Now, this is what Jesus said. He was there from the beginning of creation. Doesn't mean they evolved millions of years later. From the beginning of creation, comma, God, the one the angel's talking about, made them male and female. And that's irreversible. Made them male and female. Doesn't matter how you feel, right? I feel a lot of things. Some days I feel seven foot tall. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. Trust me, some days I feel 80 years old, all right? And I've heard seniors say, you're not, preacher. <laughs> you're going to get, if you get there, you just wait to how you feel. But think about this. This is what uh, the angel cre- uh, combines the creationism to the gospel. And Jesus was there. The writer of Colossae said, or Colossians, I'm sorry, all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Basically paraphrasing, Jesus Christ actually created everything. Not only does the credibility of Christ require creationism, but the gospel of Christ is tied to it. The Apostle Paul said this when he spoke to the intellects of his day. Now, now he basically said this, We preach the gospel to you. And then in Acts 14 he says this, We preach this gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is within them. Paul didn't want his, uh, his audience to... to kind of debate over who created everything. He says, God did. That's why you should turn to him. And then thirdly, the future judgment of the world is coming in the hands of our creator God. That's why the angel says, fear God and give him glory. Fear God and give him glory. Secondly, the second angel preached the gospel of Christianity. Notice what the Bible says in verse 8. It says, and another angel followed. And notice where he says Babylon. This goes all the way back to Genesis 10. One scholar put it this way. Understand that Babylon was founded in Genesis 10 by an idolater named Nimrod. It became the site of the first organized system of a religion that opposed God. That's why that word's so, so important. It built the Tower of Babel, whose top reached the heavens. Nimrod was a God-hater. He introduced idolatry. It's really a monument to a false deity and a false system. United men around a false system of religion. It meant you were anti-God or anti-Christ, and God scattered them, took their false religion with them, and all these false religions go back to Babel. All the nations are intoxicated and deceived by it, the angel was basically saying. Babylon has fallen, has fallen, the great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. That's why the uh, apostles would start out their preaching like by this. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved other than Jesus. It is, isn't it amazing how so many religious figures today say all religions are the same? One rabbi said this, he's a Jewish rabbi, he said, I'm absolutely against any religion that says one faith is superior to another. I don't see how that is any different than spiritual racism. New word. Okay? It's a way of saying that we're closer to God than you, 
And that's what leads to hatred. I guess the angels should have listened to him, didn't, shouldn't they? One religion's better than the other. Well, one religion's right and all the rest of them are wrong. Billy Graham's former contemporary, Charles Templeton, said this, who basically became an agnostic. He said, Christians are a small minority in the world. Approximately four out of every five people on the face of the earth believes in God's little g's other than the Christian God. The more than five billion people who live on earth revere or worship more than 300 gods. If one includes tribal religions, the number rises to more than 3,000. Are we to believe that Christians, only Christians are right? Well, I would say this. There are what, 4,000 religions that we know of? And there's only one empty tomb, right? There's only one. I'm going to follow the one that rose from the dead. And we have a historical account of his life. When you think about this, why do we need this warning? Think about in time how Satan has used angels to start uh, false religions. The history of Islam traces its roots to their great prophet Muhammad who received his call to become the prophet or apostle of God from the angel Gabriel, along with instruction. However, this is a different gospel. The prophecies of Muhammad effectively demoted Jesus to being one of six prophets, the last one, of course, being Muhammad. To further reveal the differences between Muhammad's gospel and the gospel of Christ, Muhammad taught that Christ did not die on the cross to atone for the sins of mankind. In fact, it was Judas who died on the cross instead of Christ. Is what they teach. It's a false gospel. Muhammad said, I received my gospel from an angel. Paul said, if we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel, let them be accursed. So everything about Islam is wrong. Think about one of the fastest growing religions in the last decade was Mormonism. They teach this, that Elohim, God, one of God, one of the gods, came to planet Earth and had relations, intimacy with Mary, so that Jesus could be given a physical body and the plan of salvation could begin. They say Jesus grew up and married Martha, Mary, and Mary Magdalene. Ain't nobody that crazy. <laughs> Mary, Martha, and Mary Magdalene. After his death and resurrection, he came to the Americas and preached to the Native Americans, who Mormons believe are actually the lost tribes of Israel. Mormonism is really crazy if you get into it. I mean, you just really, it's just really weird. By the way, one, guy, one scholar says, this particular doctrine has now created quite a problem because of the discovery of DNA, which is having a bit of problem con connecting Native Americans to the Jewish people. Followers of Mormonism say this does not matter. It's just a minor detail. According to their gospel, the last living follower of Jesus recorded God's plan of salvation by writing it on golden plates in ancient Egyptian symbols. They said an angel did it. For 1,400 years, they lay undiscovered until a direct descendant of Jesus and his three wives, a young man named Joseph Smith, discovered those golden plates. He soon received visits from an angel, Moroni, and with the angel's help, was able to translate the golden plates and give the world a completed gospel. In his gospel, faithful Mormons will one day inhabit their own planet and live as polygamous gods, spawning their own race for all eternity. Sorry, women. <laughs> you're a Mormon it's not getting better for you in the afterlife is that not weird I mean really when you sit down and think about it, is that not odd it's really odd nice people nicest people you'll meet preaching on false gospel sad isn't it need to evangelize Muslims and Mormons because an angel told them the wrong thing okay this is another gospel the third angel preaches this the gospel of God's wrath notice what the Bible says in verse 9, it says, A third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out for strength into the cup of his indignation. And basically what this angel is saying is there's judgment coming 
And any, you can read, takes the mark and all that. Anybody that's lost here, this applies to you. Whether you take a mark or not. When you die, the Bible says, you'll stand before God and face judgment. And what one scholar put it this way, he said, this third angel literally takes the lid off of hell. It's no longer hidden it's, and, it's, and it's exposed for everyone to see. Jonathan Edwards said this in his, uh, his book, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, which I read when I was a, a, a freshman at CBCC. He said this, and this is a quote. Okay? The pit is prepared, the fire is made ready, the furnace is now hot, ready to receive them, the flames do now rage and glow, the glittering sword is sharp, held over them, and the pit has opened its mouth under them. O sinner, O sinner consider the fearful, fearful danger you are in. Jonathan Edwards wrote, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And I remember reading that as a freshman at CBCC. And I remember sitting there in that English class, and this teacher made us read it. And said, what do you think about this guy? He was, I think he was educated in Princeton. He was a preacher. And he would, she said he would ride a horse to churches and take out his sermon. Just read it. And people would get saved. Basically what he's saying, if you're lost, old sinner, God's holding you over a pit. That's what he said. And I remember reading that as a 20-year-old. And I look at my friends and say, they'd say, what do you think about that still? I said, if that's true, we're in trouble. <laughs> we're in big trouble. We are in big trouble if this is true. If hell is real, we're in trouble. See, the wrath of God, the angel is saying is this. One, one thing, three things about it is it is personal and it's terrible. Think about that. Notice what it says. Drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength. Now think, he, he equates wine being full strength. One scholar, I looked that up, and one scholar said this, in John's day, wine was typically mixed with water. Even the Romans believed that to drink unmixed wine was barbaric. They normally mixed it at one part grape juice and three parts water. So John uses this practice as a metaphor for the undiluted wrath of God. It is straight wrath. Mercy and compassion will, but not, will not be mixed into the cup, only wrath and anger. Can you imagine this terrible moment the world will one day face? It's no wonder... David wrote, who can stand in the presence of God's anger? Judgment is terrible, right? But it is a great evangelism strategy just to be honest with people. This, this angel is saying that God's wrath is personable to each person and it's terrible. Secondly, the wrath of God is not only personal and terrible, it is painful. Notice verse, verse 11, 10 and 11, He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels. And in the presence of the Lamb and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever and ever. Think about that. The devil's not going to be managed in hell. The devil's not in hell now. The devil's got his own place in hell. Demons aren't sitting there tormenting people. The Bible says, they use terms like this, fire and brimstone. Those, those words were used to talk about Sodom and Gomorrah being judged. David said this in Psalm 11:6. Upon the wicked God will rain coals of fire Fire and brimstone and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. In Isaiah, the prophet was vindicating, judging uh, uh, Israel if they weren't uh, repentant. And he said that God will send a stream of sulfur. There's no way to erase this from Scripture. God's judgment is personal and God's judgment is painful. And then third, God's wrath and judgment is eternal. The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. One, one scholar said this, the specific context of this verse is regarding those who in the tribulation who choose to reject Christ and worship the Antichrist. The larger context explained in chapter 20 reveals that these people eventually join all unbelievers 
from the beginning of time to the end of human history as we know and it will be cast into the lake of fire. Jesus put it this way. The lost will go into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Jesus referred to hell as unquenchable fire. He refers to hell as a place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Isaiah said this about hell. The worm will not die and the fire is not quenched. I'm sorry. Jesus related the story of Lazarus and the rich man who, who both died. Lazarus, as we talked about last week, went to paradise. And the unrepentant rich man who had known Lazarus throughout his life went to the place Jesus described as a place of torment and was in agony in the flame. So what does that have to do with you? What does it? You're saying, I've never took a mark of the beast or anything like that. You're here today. You're here today. Have you ever placed your faith in Jesus? I'm talking about, have you placed your faith in Jesus who rose from the dead and you've placed your faith in him and you've surrendered your life to him? Regardless of your age or whatever's happened in your past, have you done that? Have you placed your faith in Jesus? And then if you're here today, listen, do you know somebody that's lost? We should be as, as evangelistic as these angels are. Notice this verse on the screen. I always have this underlined just about whatever Bible I own. It says, and anyone, look at the word anyone. Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, my grandfather uh, was my best man in my wedding, one of the best men I've ever known. And I always struggled with whether or not my grandfather was saved. And up until he died, all right, I, I would witness to my grandfather, witness to my grandfather, he says, son, for the last time, I know Jesus, <laughs> all right? You know why? Because he's the anyone. He is. The first person I led to the Lord was in 1990, not long after I got saved. You know why? Because there are anyone. You know what you are? You're anyone. When's the last time you witnessed to anyone? Now, now let's be honest. If what we're reading is true and what we're saying and what I'm preaching is true, anyone's matter, right? When is the last time you personally invited somebody to church? I'm not talking about sharing the Romans road with them. When is the last time you, you reached out to anyone? Think about that. See, that's, that's how convicted I get over this. When is the last time you shared your faith with them? When is the last time you prayed for anyone? Okay. I'm going to ask our musicians to come, and I'm going to ask you to stand with me, if you will. And I would say this as they come. You're in anyone today. Anyone not found written in the book of life. Now notice, look at the word written. That means it's been written in the past. It's written. Your name is in a book, God's book. Look, a book is open. Look. Jamie Steele, October 30th, 1990, when I was saved. Written by God. Writ, God's written that down. Anyone who was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. Anyone. Doesn't matter if you're Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, agnostic, atheist. Doesn't matter your race, your education, or how much money you make, or how much charity you do. I think we think if we do enough charity, we go to heaven. That's what the Muslims think, and that's not true. Have you ever placed your faith and trust in Christ? Listen, anyone, would you be willing to pray for anyone? Would you be willing to just, where you are, everybody just bow your heads and close your eyes and say this, God, will you use me? Will you use me to reach anyone? God, use me to reach anyone. 
And Father, today I make a commitment to pray for anyone until they're saved. And I would say if you're here and you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, you are anyone. And I would encourage you to get saved today. After I pray, this altar is open if you need to come. If not, you can pray where you are. Father, we come to you in prayer. We want to thank you, Lord, for your word, for the gospel. Lord, that we preach, that people long before us preach. Father, that angels preach and we'll preach at the end of time. And Father, we would just want to reach anyone, anyone. The gospel's for anyone, regardless of their past, whether it be good or bad. Heaven's not for good people. Heaven's for saved people. Hell's not for bad people. Hell's for lost people. So, Father, anyone, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And I pray that you'd save for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. As Sharon leads us in this song, you respond as the Lord leads you this morning. to a close of this service, I want to thank you so much for being with us this morning. Listen, our goal in life is not to build buildings here. It's to reach anyone. Amen. And if buildings help us do that, praise God, let's build them bigger. Amen. Listen, that's that's why we give. That's why we come and we have Sunday school class. That's why we have a Wanda tonight. Is to teach your kids about, that they're anyone, that God can save them. Aren't you thankful? And listen, I want to tell you that I love you. I don't know who's saved in this church and who's not. I know most of you are saved. But if you'd ever want to talk about that to me, you can contact me anytime, anytime. And I would encourage you this week to have this prayer. God, help me to reach anyone, just anyone. Doesn't matter. Don't, don't put any limits on God and say, God, just use me this week to reach anyone. And then always, always, always pray for your anyone. Pray for them and pray that God would save them. And don't stop. I'm living proof that when you pray for somebody, God can save them because I don't know how many people came to me after I saved and said, we, we're praying for you, our church is praying for you, and I, I just always thank God for that, okay? God bless you, you're dismissed, and hope to see you tonight around 5 o'clock.